0: Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Phil Lebrun, an enterprise strategist with AWS. Today, I sit down with Teresa Carlson, the Vice President of Worldwide Public Sector at AWS. Teresa is here to talk about business challenges and trends she is seeing and how she is tackling them from a leadership standpoint. Welcome, Teresa. It's so good to have you here today. Before we start, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about your background, your areas of expertise, and a quirky or personal detail about your time in quarantine.
1: Well, hi, Phil, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, Yeah, it's been kind of crazy, right? Uh, Since March, we've definitely had a new normal, both for uh, our work and for our own personal lives, for sure. And all of our employees and our customers and partners around the world that have tried to figure out how do I work operate and keep my mission and my business moving along. So yeah, so I'm excited to talk about that today. A little bit about me. So I have been at Amazon Web Services. I'll be going on my 11th year in December and I started our worldwide public sector business starting in December of 2010. And uh, we've grown that business significantly. We're in uh, 182 countries now, and we have teams on the ground in 42 countries. And now I'm excited to pick up our uh, industry markets, which telco, energy, and financial services. And that's a lot of fun now because there's so much uh, synergy between all those verticals and how they can work together, especially in a regulated market. Um, Before I was at AWS, I was at Microsoft for 10 years, and I ran U.S. federal government for Microsoft. Before that, believe it or not, I worked at a small tech company, and before that, I was a speech and language pathologist.
0: Great. Thanks very much, Teresa. What about a quirky personal detail you could share from your time in quarantine?
1: Well, one of the fun things that I like to talk about, and my team still talks about it, is uh, once this all started, we were having calls twice a day, once in the morning with the international team and once in the evening with the U.S. and Latin America team. And we would do jumping jacks every day at the end of of our meetings to try to get people energized, to try to keep people moving. And everybody was super disappointed if we didn't get to our jumping jacks. So that's kind of a fun fact about something we did every day to kind of keep ourselves going.
0: I think I probably needed to join some of your meetings. Uh, So COVID-19 has been one of those classic black swan events you read about in books, but it's come on really fast. Every organization has been forced to respond to challenges we've simply never seen before. What were the key issues that your customers had to deal with during this time?
1: Phil, it's such a good question. And I'll kind of share that At AWS, we created a disaster management response team a few years ago, Uh, and we created this group because what was happening, we kept having more and more disasters around the world, and we needed a way across AWS and Amazon to coordinate our resources to go respond to those disasters. Well, we saw in China around January, February, we saw that they were struggling in China with COVID, And so our team initiated a response and we started working with China to see how we could support that team and the customers on the ground. Well, little did we know that quickly this would move to Europe, then to the United States and Latin America. And of course, uh, we are far from over COVID right now, and it's still sprinkling back and forth depending on the part of the world. So we got really busy in response because one of the things that happened, especially in the public sector space with government, is like no time ever in my lifetime did uh, you see citizens, individuals, uh, watching their television, watching the internet, whatever ways of media they had to listen to their government. So they were tuned into their government constantly trying to understand from their government, what were the rules? Could they go out? How dangerous was this? Uh, What what kinds of hospitals were available? Where were the beds? What was going on with respirators? Uh, And then you move from that to unemployment and supplies. People were unemployed and they needed to get paychecks. They needed supplies. Uh, Where could they get uh, a COVID test? So you saw all of these things kind of happening and government couldn't shut down. While some of the commercial companies uh, diminished services or closed doors for a while, in the government space, they couldn't close. They had to keep moving, Uh, but they had to respond to the way they worked very, very differently. So what we saw was that they immediately said, okay, how do we connect one with our citizens uh, to provide them information how can the citizens connect back with us to get that information and, and absorb it? How do we create the applications that allow them to apply and get the services required like a COVID test, getting to the doctor, finding a hospital, knowing if a respirator was needed, how they could access that. And then, uh, then that moved into areas like unemployment where they were working really hard to get the paychecks to the citizens uh, that weren't going to work. So they turned to technology. During this period, we saw really fast adoption. So again, while they were moving pretty fast in the last four to six months, they've really moved as fast in that four to six months as they had in the last couple of years. So you can see that's kind of definitely becoming the new normal. And the reason that they did that is probably pretty clear, but one, they couldn't get into their data centers. Two, the applications weren't scaling at all. Uh, And three, they needed net new things that they had to build and create really, really quickly. Uh, Like as a, a really great example, we saw an explosion of customers using our digital call center called Amazon Connect. And that allowed them to take their call centers that are traditionally where people go into a facility, they do a call center activity. This allowed them to virtualize their call centers into people's homes. And then from that, they started to collect the data to do the analysis to really understand and then automate some of those calls. So they were tiering, triaging those calls and only having to talk to the most critical ones while they could answer calls that were common through a set of machine learning capabilities that we apply in our call center. So um, these, are, these are really some of the areas, and I could go on and on about many of the solutions, but we just saw our customers really moving fast. And the last kind of point, Phil, I will say that became really important is data-driven decision-making where the countries or the states or local needed to do decision-making based on economic data and health data. So they were merging those two elements to make decisions about reopening, phasing, and are still using that and are getting much more uh, mature in their ability to take on machine learning capabilities through data that they're feeding into the systems now.
0: And and Teresa, for the partners and customers that have navigated and continue to navigate the challenges that COVID has brought, what common approaches or mechanisms do you believe are contributing to their success?
1: You never want something like COVID, a crisis to happen, of course, uh, because uh, this is gonna be hard on our nation, on the world for years to come. But we also know through experience that crisis leads to innovation. And once those innovations occur, generally they don't go back, they don't turn back, they move forward from those innovations. Uh, And what really we've seen as mechanisms is that it's at the top level of leadership. It's, you know, Andy Jassy, our CEO at AWS has always talked to customers about leadership matters. And this is one point in time where I would say a key mechanism they use that mattered were their leadership capabilities. And from the top, they basically said, we have to go fast and move fast. And they did that. And again, I'll give you an example. We work with the Small Business Administration in the US to help them put a front end to their uh, to their PPP program for uh, providing paycheck protection to small businesses. And we worked very quickly with them to put a front end interface into their back end system of eTran so that small businesses could get loans from large banks or small banks, whoever the SBA had partnerships with. And they would not have been able to do that with the use of cloud. And they reached out. We worked very fast with the White House and the Small Business Administration to drive that model. But again, it was leadership and the tooling uh, that really, again, allowed us to move fast. And I think breaking down barriers also in my business, like acquisition, acquisition tools and models and frameworks can be a huge blocker for these customers to buy technology. So a mechanism that a lot of governments employed around the world where they took that out, they removed that barrier And they told uh, many of the ministries and agencies, if you need tooling to go do this for COVID to keep the mission going, go do it. So they removed barriers of acquisition in many of the countries or states to actually move much faster. And then also I think recognition that it just wasn't working and it took a push sometimes from the citizens to say, you know, I need a paycheck now I my rent is due now. I need food supplies now, um, so they acted very quickly based on a, a need.
0: Teresa, some great examples from public sector, and as you rightly point out, um, a much heightened dependency on communication from governments around the world. What are you seeing in terms of mechanisms that commercial uh, sector companies are using?
1: Well, I will go back to feel uh, leadership moving fast and thinking big and being super agile. And again, some of the things that we saw like around creativity were Amdocs, that's an Israeli telecommunications company, used their individuals to set up a Connect call center to support the elderly. So they did training and education out to the elderly into the nursing care facilities to make sure that those elderly could connect with their loved ones, they could have those communications, which we know they feel very lonely. My mother is 91, and while we're blessed that my family lives close by her in Kentucky, she's lonely, and the elderly get very lonely without those connections. And if you can imagine them not having their families with them for such a long period of time. So I thought that was beautiful what they did in a very creative way to work with their elderly population. And then one I think that's important for all public health is uh, the national healthcare services in the UK. We worked hand in glove with them across both our amazon.com side and the AWS side and our policy to come together and support them because they reached out to us and said, we need your help to get supplies into the country, testing equipment, uh, protective equipment that's required and we need to get those tests actually analyzed and get the results of those. So we worked across NHS to help get supplies, do the testing, analyze that, and we supported that entire supply chain for them. And one of the things that we created as a result is we did a $20 million fund to support research organizations, and we're still keeping that going and are gonna continue to fund that throughout and the idea was of that was that research organizations actually get left behind a lot, especially smaller ones. But at the same time, they will have some of the best ideas and concepts. So we wanted to be able to fund those and support those small organizations, even to the larger organizations. So we did this diagnostic development initiative with AWS, and we have some amazing stories of research groups, and they're still coming to us to get funding for that. So really uh, amazing things that we saw across the world where individuals responded both uh, immediately and now how they continue to respond with new tooling to support and keep their community safe.
0: Fantastic. You describe some basic tenets we talk about around digitally transformed companies, such as thinking big and top-down leadership. One other is obviously being agile. The most agile customers are continuing to rapidly experiment in order to grow and scale. What do you think the fundamental changes will be for customers going forward as a consequence of what we're seeing today?
1: You know, I believe at the core of this, they have seen the ability to do transformation of a process or a workload really fast. That they now understand that cloud capabilities allow them to experiment, fail fast, recover fast, and deploy. And also they learn that when they're creating something from cloud, they don't, what I like to call, have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I mean by that, if they're creating and developing an application, if something does not work in the development stage, they don't have to start all over. Because of the model that they use, they can adjust and they can use what they've created. And I think that even where feel in the early days, that's something we always talked about in cloud, During this period of time, I think we saw many customers have an aha moment about how that experimentation became so important and the rapid ability to get the results out there because they could adjust very quickly. And also another big concept that became extremely important and still is, is the concept of data lakes and sharing. So now, like no other time, I think you're also seeing research share their information, hospitals, communities, countries, states. We're seeing many uh, come together in a regional approach to try to solve some of these most difficult challenges, and they're sharing what they're learning through their data.
0: I think we're seeing a lot of those conversations happening, Theresa, over the past few months, and customers not just wanting to know how to get to the data, but then how do they become a data literate organization and use that, build it into their culture to drive experiments, as you talked about, and become more agile. One of the topics we talk a lot about is how agile organizations build a trust based culture. Um, we've seen a lot of this become a necessity, particularly during the pandemic, whether that was because of regulations or because of companies taking a people first approach through the crisis and having to implement work from home policies for their employees. While there's still debate on whether work from home will become a a new normal, what are some of the challenges and considerations that you believe companies need to take into account in these situations?
1: Well, you know, surprisingly, even for us, um, you know, Amazon, AWS, we're a global company. Before COVID, I personally traveled 60% of the time, at least. Uh, Amanda, my executive assistant used to say, you can't squeeze in any more travel. And every year we'd squeeze more in. And we, we would say, how'd do we do that? Uh, and I think we all felt like we could not be productive unless we were on the road all the time going to the customer site. Now, I personally believe there is nothing uh, better than getting in front of a customer and having that face-to-face, but the reality was we could not do that. And we still are very, most individuals, while it's starting to open up and we're happy, uh, there's still a lot of concern and a lot of people are very nervous on what's the right time and how do they do it safely. So while we were working at home, I even myself was surprised how agile we were to, as at Amazon, AWS, we did not miss a beat. Uh, All of a sudden, we had our own tools. We have Chime, we have WorkDocs, we have uh, Chat, we have all the capabilities that we needed, uh, but we really hadn't fully used them even ourselves to this scale. So I think we ourselves feel we're a really good test of because we're a very large global company. Uh, How do you do this and make it work for customers? The other thing I think most of us found, our customers were actually more available than they had been uh, because they were not having to travel and go through airports and have that uh, transportation time to and from the office. So there were a lot of positives for sure in terms of how we responded. I think the negatives, quite frankly, for the employees, all of our employees, our employees, our customers, and our partners were their struggles to how to balance work, life, and family. So I think, you know, so many people desire to get back home because, you know, mental health wise, uh, it's hard, right? They're, They're trying to figure out how they balance all that. My personal thing was, let's do jumping jacks. If you need a few minutes, you go take a walk. If your child gets in your lap, you go take care of them. Uh, you know, you're gonna, we can't get concerned if a, if a dog is barking or a cat is on top of you. Like you just kind of learn that we have to be a little bit more flexible and you can't always be so buttoned up, if that makes sense. And I don't believe some of these things will change. Uh, But I think we have learned that if you have to do business, you can do business in this world of virtual, but it's not necessarily how we'd like to continue to do that business.
0: You're absolutely right. I think we've become a lot more forgiving on uh, video conference calls. But as the old adage goes, are you working at home or living at work? So that that, that balance and that mental health, health, as you say, is so critical. One question on that, though.
1: And when do you eat, by the way? When do you eat? I found that if you're on calls, that you've got to figure out how you put up some food in your mouth sometimes. So that's that can be a little awkward too.
0: Absolutely. Do you think it's changed where we hire and locate our people? Totally.
1: Um, I think that we look for, you know, we, we were changing a bit already with that because we have so much talent we have to hire that we look for the right culture fit, of course, always at, at Amazon. Uh, But we were trying in the early days to make sure that everyone always lived close to an office. And, you know, not just because of us. We wanted them to have a space. We wanted them to be able to come in and socialize and learn from others. And I think today we're much more open about let's just hire the right people. It doesn't matter where they live. We just need to make sure we have the right person to do the right job. Now, what we do have to continue to think about, and I think everyone, not just Amazon uh, and AWS has to worry about this, but we have to make sure that we build the right culture. And for for us, we we are high on our culture piece. So we need to make sure that everyone we hire, we are ruthlessly putting our mechanisms in place to make sure we onboard them they have the right individuals supporting them during that onboarding. So I think it changes how you have to interact with those employees. You have to make sure you personally as a manager, or leader giving them more time or more access to people as they onboard. But I think where they live um, has forever kind of changed I, our thinking because we're just looking now for the right people to do the right job. And it's our, then it's our responsibility to onboard them and get them into the culture Uh, Correctly.
0: How do you plan for the long term while also managing through this crisis?
1: Well, um, you know, it's a really interesting question because I think most of us today, uh, especially me, have probably not been looking around corners as much as we need to be on the future of this because we are so focused on getting through. Uh, right now, helping our customers make sure that their missions, their workloads continue and they have citizen and customer facing uh, solutions that help keep their businesses and their doors open and getting the paychecks to the individuals that need them. So for, for me, I think I, I want to make sure my employees have the right tools that they need to work from home. I want to make sure they have the right support in the future if they're working from home, both from an HR perspective, a mental health, you know, perspective. Uh, but most importantly, as well as all those, is the tooling, the tools that they need to work effectively from home, and not feeling like they're always kind of in a half at work environment.
0: So, so, Teresa, you're used to some of the traditional objections to cloud having focused on security and resiliency. While many public sector and commercial organizations realized that the status quo simply wasn't sustainable and they had to change, how should customers going forward think about balancing speed with resiliency?
1: Um, You know, the thing that I hear the most uh, outside of security is always, let's just kind of set that aside for now. Security is always top of mind for our customers. Almost everyone, but especially in government and regulated spaces, it's always top of mind. But outside of that, they are really looking for speed and agility. Those are the next two things. Uh, I hear so much from customers today. We created a new uh, satellite and aerospace business in June this year. And that was driven by customer requests. And what we heard from those customers, we launched a tool called Ground Station, uh, where you can uplink and downlink satellite uh, signals and and capabilities uh, quickly, cloud-based. And you can do all those analytics through the cloud. But that was based on customer feedback, that we needed that. Uh, And what we've heard from all these customers is that industry is not moving fast enough. It's very slow and we don't have the capabilities. So generally outside of security, I hear speed and agility. Resiliency is of course important and they depend on cloud and AWS. And any of our customers, I think commercial or public sector that you ever talk to will say that they get much better resiliency from the cloud, agility and speed. Um, so those capabilities come together really rapidly. So, so for us, um, the thing that really stands out outside of all those feel that we hear though is still data sovereignty and data residency. Uh, because again, in any regulated industry or government sector, they care almost the most. They care the most about where their data resides, not because particularly that it has to be in that country, but because they worry about who handles it and the security of that, and that their data being moved and being utilized in some way outside of their country. So for us, it's a lot about data residency and data sovereignty. And so we continue, as everybody knows, who knows AWS, uh, we've never said we're gonna slow down our building and we made really large commitments on this that helps both, again, commercial, public sector, all of our customers.
0: Absolutely. So it's clear that leaders around the world are seeing value in the cloud and are starting to accelerate their digital transformation journey. Developers have long been fans of AWS, embrace cloud services because of reliability, scalability, and of course, because of the 200-odd services that allow them to build anything, anytime. Uh, But the Benefits of cloud migration and the transformation it enables often mean significant uh, cultural shifts within organizations, and which they're often hesitant to, to do and are often tougher than the technology choices themselves. How can leaders in your mind excite their middle management teams to adopt cloud technology and become advocates on cultural changes that support the agility you've been talking about?
1: You know, of everything, Phil, we've talked about uh, today in this session, I would say culture is still the number one barrier, truly, for any customer of cloud adoption. And that's the reason early on we talked about leadership matters. So leadership matters because from the top of the organization, all the way through all the layers, in order to have true transformation of both your your business, your mission, your priorities, and your culture, it's gotta start from the top with somebody saying, we're going through this change, we're setting up timelines, we're gonna test out our timelines and we're gonna measure them as we go. We're gonna have inputs and we're gonna have outputs and we're gonna make sure these come together. And um, I would tell you that I used to do this thing in the early days where I talked about um, the move to the cloud within my customers in public sector, I called it it the cloud adoption cycles. And for us, it was like, it was really interesting because we needed first, believe it or not, a definition of cloud. So this was kind of the early days. And I still feel sometimes we still need to define cloud for individuals. But what is the true definition of cloud computing? So you have that And from that, you have a cloud first policy or a cloud native policy as an organization of any type, because you need to say, we're always doing cloud first, we're always doing cloud native. Uh, And from there, you have to have a way that you buy cloud. Believe it or not, many companies, many governments still don't have a good model of OpEx versus CapEx because their budgets are still set up in a way of buying technology that is very old school Because guess what? The old school vendors taught them how to do that very well. And we all, who've been around for a long time, were part of that. And it's the way companies, governments learn to budget for their technology. Then from that, they needed a way to look at security and compliance of the cloud. And still organizations look at that very deeply. One of the first models of this was in the US, something called FedRAMP, which was the very first cloud security model that was created. And from that, we actually saw a lot of countries begin to pick that up and companies who will use that or a variation of that around the world uh, for looking at cloud security controls. And then you have low, moderate, high, secret, top secret, and there's different controls added on, uh, which are easy to automate and look at from a distributed alerting model. So then you have that. Then you had, okay, once you have all those things in place, guess what? It's training, education, moving, and culture goes through all of that. So if you just think about what I said, each and every one of those steps requires a culture shift and you're getting, you're taking steps along the way to trial out and experiment cloud and learn again, how do you buy it? How do you do the legal terms and conditions? How do you design an architect, a cloud-based model, when your individuals in your organization don't have cloud skills. So what we've found at AWS is one of the most important tools that we have in our kit to help our customers is training, education, and certification. And we've worked really hard over the years to expand our training and certification team. We have hundreds of online courses for free. We work with universities, we work with organizations. To both uh, provide our training to work, we have a program called AWS Educate and Academy, where we roll out cloud curriculum. We help them do codeathons, hackathons. They can get badging along the way that leads to their ability to become certified as a solution architect or other types of skills within our data centers. They can learn Alexa skills. They can learn machine learning.
0: So Teresa, as a leader in AWS, what excites you about the future?
1: Gosh, there's so many great things happening. You know, I'm a kept half full person and I believe globally we are just scratching the surface with our customers and partners. Uh, we've always talked about, in addition to all the great leadership principles at Amazon, there's two others. We've always said we're going to pave the way for disruptive innovation and make the world a better place. And I see that happening today. In the past where customers didn't wanna talk about their technology programs because they had so many failures, fast forward, just look at our case studies and all of our amazing customers that come on stage and talk about what they're doing and the ideas they bring to us. I think in a new future, you're gonna see a few things. One, a more diverse and inclusive set of individuals working in the technology space more female leaders i'd like to say which would be great uh we're gonna see our customers using the full breadth and depth of the platform to solve some of the world's most challenging problems and get there faster than we ever imagined so i believe while i myself and i don't think anyone is happy are delighted about us going through this pandemic and seeing what's occurred to our economy and our healthcare systems uh, at the same time i think it's created a new normal to move faster with the use of technology and sharing of that and ideas and concepts so again i believe you're going to see some of our greatest challenges now being taken on with the use of cloud computing and moving that forward with solutions much faster because the knowledge is much greater as a result of this um, horrible pandemic that we've seen over the last six months.
0: Teresa, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me and uh, sharing your insights.
1: Thank you for having me, it's been fun.